0: This uh, series rescued um, keying off of the initial passages in Galatians um, as we've studied through the book of Galatians we might have forgotten that that's that's the name of the the series and kind of wondered why is it called rescued Uh, what are we rescued from that's what is um, implied in the title rescued and we see in Galatians uh, the beginning of Galatians where he said we've been rescued from this present evil age or this present generation and and so we're going to look at that today because that's where paul goes in our text of galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14 last week jonathan did a great job explaining paul's argument that abraham the very father of the jews was declared righteous not by keeping the law he was declared righteous by faith before the law was ever given therefore All who are of faith are sons of Abraham and share in the blessing of Abraham, that being righteousness by faith, not by the law. And so we see that this week, instead of focusing on the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of faith, Paul turns his attention to the negative side of the same argument, focusing on the curses or the curse of the law. That's been a theme that's really all throughout the story of the Bible. Blessings and curses, life and death. There's a choice that everyone makes, and that's really the story of the Bible. And so we're going to look at the curse of the law today, that which we have been rescued from, as we look at verses 10 through 14. So read along with me, if you will. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, Paul says... For as, many are, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles... So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Lord, we come to an incredible, incredible passage that those who trust in Christ, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, that Christ became a curse to redeem us from that very curse. Lord those words, the truth of that message is what radically transforms our life each day as we get it. As we meditate on the fact that God took on flesh to become a curse so that I don't have to be cursed. May we grasp that reality this morning, may we realize just what we have been rescued from and how we have been rescued from it, and may it transform us by the power of your Spirit working in our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, verse 13 is the key passage in this uh, section of Scripture, and it's really the The heart of the gospel. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us. Ah, This is the heart of the gospel. This is the concept of redemption. The concept of rescue. And so Paul's whole theme here all throughout these passages is redemption. And so we're going to look at three aspects of... Of redemption in these verses. We're going to look first of all at the need for redemption. And it's going to be painful. It's not fun to meditate and think deeply on just how desperately we need redemption. But then we're going to look at the means of redemption. How we have been redeemed. And then finally we'll briefly just look at the blessings of redemption. So let's begin first by looking at. The need for redemption. Notice in verse 10 he says, For as many are as of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is, how many? Everyone who does not abide by how much? All things written in the book of the law to perform them. In verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. And his reason. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary. He who practices them shall live by them. I.e. not by faith. So. In these verses, Paul once again appeals to a higher authority than experience. Remember, as this progression of thought has been unfolding, he said, first of all, you guys who's bewitched you remember the experience that you had a conversion when God radically saved you and filled you with his spirit. Do you remember that? Well, do you remember what happened there? Were you, was the law involved at all? No, the law had nothing to do with it. It was all when you had faith. And then he goes from experience to a higher authority. Last week to the authority of the Old Testament testimony about Abraham. And he takes us back to Genesis 12. And he says, remember the story of your father, the Jew of all Jews, the father of the Jews. Remember what happened there? Abraham was credited righteousness, not by the law. The law hadn't even come to existence. He says, but it was by faith. God, Abraham took God at his word. ...regarding the coming seed, the Messiah. It was by faith, it was credited to him as righteousness. And now, in just these few short verses, he gives four more Old Testament quotes. And I love it, because it's all the story of the Bible explaining the New Testament. And that's how the Bible works... New Testament does not mean the Old is outdated and we're done with that. So now all we need is the New. No, the New is the New Covenant that the Old Testament was pointing towards. And so all of the Bible is one story. And so we see Paul going back to the Old Testament. And his first quote is found in verse 10. He quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26. 26, And he says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things, written in the book of the law, to perform them. Moses, in Deuteronomy twenty seven twenty six. What what Paul just dumps us into the context of what's going on there, is Moses is preparing God's people to enter into the promised land. And as he prepares them to enter in the promised land, he says, get those stones that you've been using for the altar. And he says, plaster over them and write everything in this law down... And place it at the entrance to the promised land. And let it be a reminder, a monument to the importance of your obedience to the law. And then he says, in fact, when you go into the land. Divide all the people and put half of them on this mountain. Put the other half on that mountain. And let's just do this massive ceremony of blessings and curses. Let them recite the blessings and let them recite the curses. Blessings come to those who live according to faith in God, resulting in obedience to the law. Curses come to those who don't. Blessings and curses. That's been the story of the Bible. And as he comes to the curses, he says, Remember, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And so Paul quotes this. As evidence that we are all under the curse of the law. Blessings and curses. That's been the story of the Bible from day one. When you begin and open your Bible, the story in creation, it's a story of God, the creator, is the author of life and blessings. He holds that in his hand, he creates humanity, and he blesses them with breath. He blesses them with life. He creates an earth and he blesses the earth and makes it a fruitful, abundant harvest for the benefit of humanity. It's a story and a picture of God blessing and blessing and blessing that they may have life and abundant life as long as they trust in the one who holds it all in his hands. And so the picture is blessings come as God's people trust in him and that trust in him results in keeping his will or his law. The law comes in many different shapes and sizes, but ultimately no matter what where you live in the history of mankind, the law is simply this. It's God's revealed will. It's God's revealed will. And so in the garden, God reveals his will to them. And his will is always coming in two pieces. What you can do and what you cannot do. And if you truly trust God, he tells Abraham, Adam and Eve, if you truly, truly trust me, you will do this and not do this. You will enjoy all that I've given you, you can eat of all the trees in the garden. You can enjoy fellowship with one another, that loving relationship I've given you. You can enjoy me, God says, in my, my intimacy with you in your midst. You enjoy peace and rest as I've nestled you into the garden. You can, you can do all that, but you can't do this. You can't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil what you can do and what you can't do. If you trust me and you keep this will, you keep my law, you enjoy all those blessings. But if you don't curse, you will return to the ground. And that's the story of Adam and Eve. That's the story of creation. What happens? They fail to trust God truly, so they disobey God's law, his will. And as a result, division comes between them The land is cursed, what was a bountiful harvest, the soil now is cursed. And there's no harvest without toil and sweat of the brow. And death and separation from God. No more access to eternal life and blessing of God. So God in the Bible is the one who is pictured as the one who holds all that in his hand. And they failed to obey his law at the very beginning and so curse came. That's the curse that is being talked about in the New Testament. It's the same concept of what God has been saying all along. It's not what we think of now. We think of curse. We think of voodoo's and witches and throwing bad evil spirits around on people. And we think of curse words. We think of damned. And all that's coming from this, but it's it's not a real quite biblical understanding of it. The biblical understanding of curse is the wages of sin is death and destruction and division and depression and the reversal of all of God's blessings because we fail to trust God and so that's the picture of the curse of the law that's being built here God though is merciful mercy is not giving what we deserve as in punishment and God is gracious and that means giving something a blessing that we don't deserve that's mercy and grace mercy is not getting the time out you deserve or the beating you deserve and the Grace of God is getting an ice cream cone when you just disobeyed mom and dad. And so he says, this is how I'm going to be merciful and gracious to humanity. He comes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. And I'm going to bless you with righteousness by faith. But then I'm going to bless the Gentile nations. All the nations will be blessed by the same blessing of Abraham. Righteousness comes by faith faith. And then they get basically a do-over 430 years later. Remember as the story goes, Adam and Eve pass on their sinful uh, hearts to the next generation. And so the flood of the wrath of God comes against that cursed, wicked, rebellious generation where every thought of their mind and heart was wicked all the time. That's what they passed on. And so God starts over With one man of faith, Noah, who trusted God's provision of salvation because he believed God's word about the coming wrath of the flood. See the picture of salvation there? And then it starts over, and we get a do over. 430 years later, after Abraham, Moses says, All right, let's get this over again. Let's start over. We're going into the promised land. And God says, if you fully trust me and obey me, the land will be plentiful and a harvest will be abundant. You'll enjoy peace and prosperity. You'll enjoy God in your midst in the tabernacle. All that you read in the garden will be reset and redone as you enter the promised land if you obey the will of God. And what what determines whether you obey the will of God? Trust, faith in God. And so we see this potential do-over as they're going into the land. And Moses says, blessings. And if you read those blessings, they're, they're very short because the, the scriptures anticipate it ain't going to happen. But if you read them, it's a recreation of the garden. It's the same stuff. But then the curses and the curses is, is a disgusting, terrible picture of the reversal of disease and, and destruction and division. And we see that's what happens. Israel plays it out once again. Adam and Eve, their generation to the flood, and Israel after them, they're in the promised land, disobeying God, and bringing upon themselves the curse of the law. So God had them write it down. Remember this. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. In fact, verse 11 makes it clear that the story of Adam and Eve, the story of the next generation, the story of Israel, is the story of all humanity. Look what he says in verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. No one. No one's ever done it. That's ever lived on the face of the planet except for Jesus. No one ever has done that. Then he quotes Habakkuk 2.4, a prophet who's sitting, it's just an awesome scene of Israel has just brought the curse of the law on their heads. The land is exactly as was described in the curses. It's, it's terrible. Destruction, devastation, disease, and death is how Israel would be described. And Babylon is crushing down on them as the wrath of God. And the prophet is sitting there and he says, what you just read. No one is justified by keeping the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. That's the point. The prophet's looking at the history of Israel and as we have the privilege of looking at the Old Testament. And we should come to the same conclusion. No one is justified by the law before God. It is evident. The righteous man shall live by faith. That's our only hope. Verse 12, Paul boils down the heart of the matter regarding the curse of the law. He says, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. The heart of the matter is this. That's a challenging verse to understand. But here's what he's basically saying. Every person lives in one of two ways. Either you live by faith in God and receive righteousness as a declaration a gift of God's mercy and grace, or you live by works of the law trying to earn your righteousness from God. Paul's point is clear. No one, no one earns the righteousness by keeping the law. All you get when you try to earn your righteousness by keeping the law, all you get is the curse of the law. That's his point. And that's where we all stand today. We are all under the curse of the law if we are not trusting in Christ as our righteousness. Adam and Eve, they died because they were under the curse of the law. Their next generation was wiped out completely by the flood Because they were under the curse of the law. Every single person in the nation of Israel failed to keep the law as a means of earning righteousness. Therefore, they were under the curse of the law, as is visually displayed by Babylon coming in and destroying them completely and taking them out of their promised land. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Paul says. And the wages of sin is death. And death doesn't just mean simply, oh, we're all going to die. Death means the reversal of all the blessings of God. Our land and our bodies are cursed with disease. Our minds and our hearts are cursed with anxieties, insecurities, disappointments, discouragement, disillusionment, despair, and depression. Our relationships are cursed with division and anger and hatred and fighting instead of love and community. We are all cursed with the inescapable reality of the approaching of death. We are all under a curse and we are all in need of redemption. Redemption is... A word used in the Bible as a marketplace where you go and redeem, you purchase, you pay a price and the object ownership transfers to you. He says we have been redeemed by Christ. What that means is he purchased us out of this curse. We all need that redemption. You don't go to Africa like we're going to commission a team today after the service. You don't go to Africa if you don't understand the curse that you were under before Christ redeemed you. You don't sing the songs that we sing with joy in your heart if you don't grasp the fact that you have been rescued from this present evil age, from death, despair, disillusionment, division, divisiveness, all the wickedness that you've brought on yourself. If you think you're a pretty good person and Jesus just makes you all that you want to be, you are not trusting the gospel in the scriptures. The gospel in the scriptures is you have earned destruction and despair and the curse of death on your own life And that is the position you are currently in if you have not truly grasped this and trusted in Christ as your only hope. That's where you are. That's where you sit right now. The wrath of God weighing on you right now if you have not been delivered from that by faith alone. That's the bad news. And we need to understand the bad news to grasp the good news. The more we understand the bad news. The greater the good news is. And the more transformation it has in your life. And the more joy that you live with in Christ. So the bad news is. Every single one of you and me. Every single one of us is under the curse of the law. It needs redemption. So then thankfully we get to verse 13. And with the weight of the wrath and the condemnation of God on your shoulders you read Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Wow. That's good news. We are all under the terrible curse, but Christ redeemed us, those of us who have faith. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ Purchased his children from the slave market with the purchase price of his blood. That word redemption is illustrated in the Roman Greco world where slaves, human beings of great value of life were treated like a commodity. That they were owned by someone and someone else came and gave a price and redeemed them and took over ownership. That's what Christ did for us. He purchased our whole life, our being. He redeemed us from evil and slavery to the wicked one. And he purchased us and gave us ownership. He became our father. To make his point, Paul once again pulls us back to the Old Testament, and if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're limiting your understanding of these awesome, powerful theological terms. He quotes Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three. He says, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." That doesn't just mean, well, that's a bad way to die. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That comes out of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 21, where God gave his will to the community of Israel. And he said, Listen, if you have a rebellious person in your community and you have witnesses and you have testimony and you have to deal with it, here's how you deal with it. They are damned to death, they are cursed. That's not just inflammatory language. Yeah, we use them as cuss words now, but this is biblical concepts. They were damned, condemned to be executed by death because that was the curse of sin and disobedience to God's will. It did two things. well, And then after they were damned and condemned, they were then strung up on a tree. So everyone could see. This is what happens when you disobey the law of God. And that did two things. The execution removed the evil presence from the community and the public display of this curse of being condemned to death by the law. Kept people from saying, I don't want to do that. It prevented further spread of the sin in the community. And so it was accurately said, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree That was a visual representation of the reality of the curse. The wages of sin is death is to be damned eternally by God for your rebellious heart against God. And that's what he says as he makes his appeal about redemption. You see, what we don't like to think about is the gruesome nature of sin and the terrible offense it is to a righteous, holy God. It just doesn't seem right in our culture as politically correct. But what we don't understand is how sinful and wicked we are and how holy and righteous God is. His wrath is the only just and right response to wicked, evil rebellion. He's a just, righteous judge and he must punish sin. If someone is a criminal and sins against your family and he stands before a judge and the judge just sweeps it under the rug, are you going to say, well, that's a good idea? No, you're going to be enraged at the injustice. And so a holy God is the judge of all the universe and he must satisfy his justice and his righteous demands his wrath must be executed someone has to be damned for your sin and for mine that's what the gospel is saying someone has to die some blood must be given for this sin And then God, in His mercy and grace, provides a way. And we see it in the Old Testament in the sacrificial system. God said, Here's how you can have all this reconciled. You can have me in your presence, though you're not righteous and holy. I can have my wrath justifiably taken care of and satisfied through a system of substitutes. I demand blood. And you can give the blood of an animal as your substitute. I will accept as a temporary means the repetitive sacrifice of animals. That will be your scapegoat as the priest laid hands on the goat, symbolizing the sins poured on that animal taken out of the camp and the other one slaughtered so that the blood is atoning and covering for the sins of the people. So God said, this is a temporary means of my mercy and grace. In the system, though, we see in the Old Testament there is an inequality. It's not going to be enough to satisfy forever. In the Old Testament, we read quotes in the Psalms like, We know, Lord, that you are not pleased with sacrifices. And we know that this does not cover the blood or the the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. And so what the sacrificial system was doing, it was temporarily restraining the wrath of God so that that would allow the sinful people to be in the presence of a holy God. In Greek mythology, it's like the, the one who was holding this boulder up the hill and constantly trying to keep it off of him, but it keeps coming back. That's the sacrificial system. It's holding back the wrath of God. But the picture is something has to finally satisfy the wrath of God. Something has to not just restrain it, but absorb it. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became the curse. That he might redeem us from the curse. Jesus Christ took your damnation that you deserved. He took my execution that I deserved. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become righteous. He absorbed the wrath of God. All the scriptures talk about Jesus is that high priest who entered into the holy of holies and gave not an animal, but gave his own blood as the spotless lamb of God. The holy God gave his own blood because that was the only way to have the holy, eternal wrath of God satisfied. And he did it for us. He became a curse. He took the curse. All the wrath of God that was pending and waiting to pour out was poured out on Jesus Christ for you and for me. That's how much he loves you. He absorbed it and he absorbed all the anger, the righteous anger of God that was wrath. That was poured out and he took it. So there's none left for us. There's no more condemnation left for you. There's no anger. There's no punishment. There's no penalty. There's no more death. There's no more division and destruction. It's all been satisfied when Jesus became the cursed. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Is that not awesome? There's a paraphrase of the Bible that was written... By Clarence Jordan for slaves. It's a paraphrase phrase in their language called the cotton patch version of the Bible. And there's just no better way to say it. God got himself strung up on a tree like a damned fool. Do you get that? I'm the damned fool. And God got himself strung up on a tree like a damned fool. So I don't have to. And that's true for you too. The God of the universe. Got himself strung up on a tree like a damned fool. For me and for you. That's the gospel. That's good news. And that will change your life. So we see the need for redemption. We see the means of redemption. And finally, the blessings of redemption. In verse 14, In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's God honoring His promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that I can take the blessings of righteousness by faith to all the Gentiles, all the nations. I blessed Israel so that the nations would be blessed. So those who are Gentiles and Jews alike, you are made righteous one way. By trusting that Christ became a curse to redeem you from the curse. And then he fills you by faith. Two purpose statements in that last verse. So that the Gentiles might be blessed with Abraham and so that we might receive the Spirit by faith. You know what that is? That's the new covenant promises that God is no longer present through the sacrificial system and the building over there as we perform these sacrifices, God is present in each one of us. The fiery, holy presence of God indwells us because the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, offered himself as the Lamb of God so that we don't have to. And now we're cleansed vessels that allow the Holy God to be with us, in us. And what happens then? He writes the law on our heart that we might live according to the will of god the rest of the new testament explains there's still this mixture that we live we still got sinful flesh we still live in an age of sinfulness and so we're in a transition phase but in the end when christ returns and finishes this business there's no more mixture it's finally god's kingdom on earth garden finally happens eternal life god in our midst no sin no, no more all those curses of the law, God dwelling with his people and the people enjoying him fully forever. How? Because Christ got strung up on a tree for us. Please don't think you're doing something to earn it. It just, it's, it's disgusting. Let's pray together. Father, you are amazing, your love and your mercy and your grace, that you would become a curse, that we might be redeemed from the curse. Lord, open hearts today. I think there's a high probability that there are people here who have not yet been redeemed from the wrath of God by faith. Lord, please open their minds and hearts today that right now, even right now, that they understand the gospel message, that they would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, by faith alone. And they would embrace wholeheartedly this good news. And that you would enter into their life as the Spirit of God in their dwelling of their heart. You'd write your will on their heart, and they would see their life changing one decision at a time, one day at a time. New desires, holy desires, (coughs) new hatred for sin new desire to be with the people of God and to read your word and to learn about this glorious gospel. A new love for you and to sing praises to you. And a, a lack of concern for the opinion of others that pales in comparison of the love that they have in the Father. A desire to, to be motivated to go and share this good news with friends and with family and with neighbors and with the nations. Lord, right now, please bring unbelievers to faith. Lord, those of us who have trusted Christ but have just a barely uh, uh, just a light simple understanding of it, may these deeper understandings that we're learning through Galatians and our study of the scriptures, may they radically transform us and produce within us a new life, and a deeper joy, a radical living, a greater expectation and prayer that if a God would do that for us, what more does he want to do for us, in us, and through us? Changes by the gospel of grace for your glory that we may be a part of accomplishing your mission. If you would do all that for us, Lord, whom shall we fear? How will we not go on mission to Africa, to our neighbors, to our family and our friends? How will we not proclaim such a beautiful gospel? For how beautiful are the feet who bring such good news. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved, but Jesus Christ. And how will they know unless someone preaches the word? And how will they believe unless they have the word? For faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And may we grasp this good news and be transformed to live for you.